Welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, psychics, aliens, religion, new age stuff, awakening, ascension, star seeds, channeling, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, and other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Melvin Hart is a neuromuscular therapist, LMT, CPT, and shamanic medicine practitioner and healer. Melvin is a spiritual nomad who travels around the globe studying and accumulating different tools to bring his own unique perspective on conscious development, shamanism, and integration to people. He's had the opportunity to work with hundreds from around the world and help in their healing and integration process. As a part of his training in the world of plant medicine, Melvin has worked with various indigenous shamans and dietas in the jungles and mountains of Peru, facilitated and participated in a hundred plus plant medicine ceremonies, and continues to work with his shamanic coaching clients to integrate their experiences into their everyday lives with his intuitive coaching. Melvin is dedicated to helping people reach and activate their innate potential and bring them to the apex of their being, mentally, spiritually, and physically. Please welcome Melvin to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. Thank you, Melvin, for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, I went through your site, The Evolutionist, and it talks quite a bit about um, your journey as a shaman, um, how it, how you found it, how it found you, and uh, a few people calling you essentially a personal trainer for the soul, <laughs> which is kind of exciting. Um, so first, my first question is, what is shamanism and how did it find you? Right. So shamanism is actually a Siberian term. And when we look at the definition, like the succinct definition of what a shaman is, it's essentially a person who enters into an altered state to communicate with other realms and bring those teachings back to the material realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's filled, that definition is filled with a lot of mysticism. Right. And um, there's a lot of confusion surrounding that term. And there's a lot of, um, I would like to say... Uh, projection mm-hmm. almost to the idea of what a shaman really is like mm-hmm. a person playing the drum dancing around a fire we have all these images that have been painted in our minds and as a result we lose touch with the true essence of the term mm-hmm. so i will agree that a shaman is someone who enters into an altered state to help bring teachings and lessons and you know that kind of thing from the spiritual realm or different realms into the material world But it's also a person who has the ability to create a safe and secure space to allow healing to take place. I'm a firm believer in there is no healers. There are no shamans who magically heal people. The only thing that a person can do is to create a catalyst for healing to take place. The same way the doctor stitches the body, the Mm -hmm. body will heal itself, given the right set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And my own philosophy surrounding shamanism is just that. Mm-hmm. That is what I do. I just don't treat people from a mystical realm or pour medicine down their throat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, 
blast off into the sixth dimension and then tell me what you see. I use not only physical things, but mental, spiritual, and psycho-spiritual as well, and mm -hmm. emotional, mm -hmm. to help a person get to that space of their own truth. Awesome. So what did life look like for you before you found shamanism? Well, there's a big, um, there's another big misconception surrounding spirituality and shamanism, right? That people have these grandiose epiphanies and then start wearing all right white robes and chanting mantras and all of that. And that's a polarized version mm -hmm. of the experience because ultimately you cannot clear old patterns or, um, yeah, you can't clear the old patterns. The only thing that you can do is move them more into the forefront of your awareness and make a conscious choice whether you want to fall into that pattern or not. Mm -hmm. So my life before I began the journey or immersion into the world of shamanism and plant medicine was one of very um, high pressure. Mm -hmm. I was a personal trainer in Manhattan. I ran a fairly successful business. Um, my main motivating factor, without any doubt in my mind, was to accumulate money. Mm -hmm. And the money afforded me experiences in life that I always craved. Because I've always been a person who was interested in traveling and seeing the world. And I've always been interested in ancient history mm -hmm. and sites and different cultures and that kind of thing. So I'd work six days a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, as a personal trainer and a neuromuscular therapist and kind of blending those two modalities into each other in order for people to, let's say, in order to properly treat a person, not to look at a person from this myopic point of view. I'm a firm believer that if your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. So um, I accumulated different skill sets to be able to treat my clients in, in individually. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, I had a beautiful apartment and all this trappings that a person could seemingly want. Mm -hmm. And I was still curious about the nature of consciousness and the other realms of reality because I've always been in tune with it. But I've never had a, a community or even a conduit in which to express those ideas. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go to Peru and try ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And I went to Peru to a 10-day retreat. And after my first ceremony, the shaman and the facilitation team pulled me aside. And uh, they called me into the, meta, um, to the medicine kitchen where they were cooking in the morning. The next morning after my first ceremony, like, tell us about your journey. So I started explaining things to them. And at that point, I was very skeptical. Even of the things that I saw, I was like, oh, these are just mental projections of things in my imagination. What did you see? Um, well... I drank the medicine. To qualify this, uh, in the orientation portion mm -hmm. of the retreat, they went around to each person and asked each person, why are you here? And each person, you know, my mother, I'm trying to heal the past, I'm trying to do this. And when it came to me, I was like, I don't really have any trauma or anything. I'm more curious about the nature of consciousness in and of itself, because I recognize that I am not just my mind and my body, I'm something else. That mm -hmm. gives power to my mind and my body. Right. And they kind of giggled at me and like, okay, cool, man. So that night we drank the medicine and within 15 minutes, I was sitting up, like eyes open, 
little stomach ache from, you know, drinking it. And I was looking at the shaman and behind the shaman, I saw this being, I, I, I it was like this superimposition of something behind him. Mm -hmm. And it looked like kind of like a, a samurai. Mm -hmm. And it was like really big and had on silver and black. And I was looking at him and I was like, oh man, like, you know, like this, this has you hallucinating. Yeah. And then uh, the medicine hit me and I was in the force of the medicine. I was purging and I was on my own personal journey working on some past traumas that I wasn't aware of that I was even carrying. Mm -hmm. And the traumas were actually framing my scope of perception mm -hmm. and my own reality now that everything was filtered through that. Yeah. So there was a lot of um, resentment and anger and aggression. Mm -hmm. So I was working with that inside and kind of coming to a place of objectivity yeah. to where I could review and see the things that affected me, but not attaching judgment to it. It mm -hmm. wasn't eliciting that deeper emotional response of like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened or whatever. It was more of me. Doesn't it mute your amygdala? And so you're able to bypass that. Well, certain, certain um, entheogens and chemicals inhibit the median prefrontal cortex of mm -hmm. your brain. And that's your sense of I. Mm -hmm. Your amygdala is more um, geared towards instinctive responses. Okay. Right. That yeah. bypass the conscious mind is more reflexive responses to things. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it does inhibit mm -hmm. the amygdalic functions. However, the primary place it does hit is that median prefrontal cortex. Okay. So... I was watching the shaman while I was simultaneously going through my own journey. Mm -hmm. So it was like I was of a few different minds. Mm -hmm. And I was also aware that I was of a few different minds. Right. Like, oh, wow, I'm having thoughts. I'm seeing what's going on with me. But then I'm also watching what's going on with this facilitation team. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at one of the facilitators who's an uh, energy worker mm -hmm. and he's um, quite powerful and very humble, beautiful man. And um, I was watching Adrian and he was moving his hands in certain kinds of ways. And I was seeing like things coming off of his hands. Mm -hmm. And I've had experiences with LSD and mushrooms in more of a recreational kind of way. Yeah. And I was like, oh, these are just trails and my science analytical mind mm -hmm. kicked in. So I had some deeper inner breakthroughs within myself regarding my own scope of awareness and perception of myself in juxtaposition to the rest of the world mm -hmm. and my levels of engagement and interaction and also my motivations and where I was coming from. But I didn't know what to do with it yeah. because as I came down from the medicine, then I moved into a judgmental space yeah. of myself. Like, wow, Mel, like you are kind of like a piece of shit, <laughs> but then you're also a good man. Mm -hmm. And this seeming paradox inside of me was at war with each other. Mm -hmm. What part of you thought that you were a piece of shit? Um, the part that always keeps me humble, mm -hmm. right? And that part that keeps me humble can also inhibit certain aspects of my being because of that, mm -hmm. right? The right. judgmental part of myself, right? Mm -hmm. I try to look at the world objectively as well as myself. However, I am myself and I am subjected to certain programming. Right. So it's a constant awareness of what part of me is speaking. Mm. what part of me is really motivated to do particular things and being at peace with that and honoring that mm. because we all don't have the noblest of intentions right. nor do we have all of the 
kind of negative attention, intentions as well. It's yeah. generally a mix between the two. Yeah. And that's very difficult for the human mind and the psyche to handle mm-hmm. because we're either, we're a species that's kind of bred to be all or nothing and polarized. Right. So I, I went back and I went to the medicine kitchen and they were actually cooking tobacco. And I wasn't aware of that particular plant medicine at the time. So the shaman was like, drink this. And he just gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I just assumed everybody else was drinking it. And I was just the first person. So I drank it and I started purging and clearing out my system in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just an energetic thing. It was a deep physical purging. Mm-hmm. So mucoid plaque was coming up, a lot of oil, mm-hmm. um, a lot of fats and undigested food from my gut. And I felt really strong. I felt really good mm-hmm. afterwards. And then they sat me down and they said to me, they're like, you know, Mel, you're one of us. Mm-hmm. And um, you could do whatever you're doing in New York and think that that satisfies you. But deep down somewhere, you know this, that, you know, this is your trajectory. And of course, like I giggled at them and I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Like I'm a New Yorker. Like I'm born yeah. and raised in New York. Like I have a certain kind of deeper drive and motivation mm-hmm. to achieve certain things. And I understand that New York is a, a, a bubble yeah. in and of itself, right? In high yeah. pressure situations. And it's always accumulate, accumulate and yeah. externalize the experience. So they laughed at me and they're like, okay, dude, like, you know, we're inviting you to come down here and live here and immerse yourself in the world of plants and to learn this part of your craft. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, all right, man, whatever, we'll see. So I completed the retreat and I went back to New York and I stayed in contact with the facilitators and the shaman and the owner. Mm -hmm. And we would exchange uh, emails on occasion, get on the Skype, get on the Skype. Skype. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I went back maybe six months later Mm -hmm. and I stayed for a month. Mm And in that six months of me being back in New York, there were times that I felt uh, incredibly lonely and alienated and also judged and projected upon. Mm. And then there, was, there were those things, but then there was also this sense of, oh, these people don't get it because they haven't drank the medicine. They haven't been there and done that. So they, they're not as conscious as mm. me. The ego takes over. <laughs> right. But I was never one to stand on Mount Pius and throw down thunderbolts. It was just an awareness that popped into my mind. And I was like, okay, well, I need to check that too, because Mm -hmm. I recognize that we're the same. So I went back to Peru and I was put in isolation for three weeks. And what kind of isolation? um, In a room similar to this, Mm -hmm. but no electronics. Mm -hmm. I was given... um, a Course in Miracles yeah. to read, which I didn't read. I just wasn't, doesn't really interest me. Mm-hmm. The, the, it's not my language. Yeah. And I was just in the room, no books, no writing utensils. They were just giving me food three times a day and giving me plants to drink. Different Sounds um, like jail. <laughs> uh, well, a little bit better than that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was in there for three weeks on a special diet kind of bonding with different plants yeah. i was working with ayahuma at the time mm. ayahuma what's that ayahuma is a bark from a tree and it's not uh entheogenic in the sense of a let's say a psychedelic experience mm-hmm. it's more of a deeper healing mm-hmm. plant 
Is it like a cousin to ayahuasca or is it different completely? Let's say that they're all in the same family because they all come from the jungle anyway. So, you know, they're all related one way or another. And uh, I drank that plant. And then I also dieted Unia de Gato and Ergon Sacha. Yes, (laughs) I I always forget that word, Ergon Sacha. (laughs) But Unia de Gato and Ergon Sacha, which is very good for the nervous system, like mm-hmm. calming your nerves mm-hmm. and kind of rebalancing and recalibrating yourself. Yeah. So I did that for three weeks. And then immediately after they broke my diet, they gave me salt because on um, traditional dietas, there's no uh, f- savory foods. There's mm-hmm. no salt. There's no pepper. There's no seasonings. You're eating just for your body to get the right amount of calories and proper nutrient profile for you to function optimally. Yeah. It's not like, you know, I'm eating fried chicken or French fries (laughs) or anything else like that. It was like white rice, banana, boiled eggs, that kind of stuff, some greens. And then immediately after I broke my diet, I went into six days of back-to-back ceremonies one-on-one with the shaman. And I went really, really deep because one, I was immersed in the aura of the medicine, yeah. I was in isolation and didn't have contact with many other people. And anybody I came in contact with were in the force of the medicine and also further along their journey. Right. Aside from the staff there who were cooking my food, who would just smile and give me my food. Yeah. And in those six ceremonies, I had this incredible opening mm-hmm. of my psyche. Mm-hmm. To see the backlog of data and the things that I repressed and suppressed. Wow. And gave me a different understanding of how I hold myself Mm -hmm. in space and who I really am as opposed to who I project myself to be. Mm -hmm. And then I've completed that dieta and then I went back to New York. Mm -hmm. And then I was in New York for two months and then I went back to Peru Mm -hmm. for two more months. And in there, I immersed myself even more isolation dietas, and I was dieting tobacco. I was dieting chiri sanango. What does that mean? I was dieting, like you were digesting, so, or you were only eating that. Or? Right. So when we use the term diet or a dieta yeah. in traditional Amazonian shamanism, mm-hmm. a dieta consists of you drinking generally one plant, mm-hmm. and that's it. And you're in isolation, so you're not dealing with other people aside from the shaman or the staff who just brings you food. Is it protection of your energy? What's the the purpose behind that? Yes, it's protection of your energy and also for you not to be distracted Mm -hmm. with interactions. Mm -hmm. Because you come into a space of acceptance. If you're in isolation for seven days, Mm -hmm. you come into a space of acceptance after about two days. The first day, you're like, oh my God, what am I doing here? And your mind is racing. Yeah. Right, And then you're taking in a plant that you're not used to, and mm-hmm. it's going to react with your system in its own special yeah. kind of way. So tobacco is a very powerful detoxifier. It's a naturally occurring um, antibiotic, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, um, antibacterial, anti-everything, essentially. Were you having any physical symptoms at the beginning? With tobacco, yes. Mm-hmm. Tobacco... Besides the purging and things like that. It makes you jittery. Okay. Because it's high amounts of nicotine, Mm -hmm. but it's clean nicotine because it's not like, you know, he's breaking open a pack of Marlboros and (laughs) cooking it. Camel. Right. This is like (laughs) real indigenous wild tobacco that they make into a tea. Mm -hmm. 
And um, it gives you a lot of clarity, I found. Like my eyes were clearer, my hearing was sharper, my own um, ability to control my breath, mm -hmm. my blood pressure, all of that. I kind of mm -hmm. came into tune with that. Mm -hmm. So those were the baseline physical things. And if they liken, let's say, ayahuasca to the grandmother yeah. or the mother who pulls you into the womb, they liken San Pedro to the grandfather, mm -hmm. the one who's cool and he's high energy and mm -hmm. teaches you a lot of lessons and also lets you play. Mm -hmm. Tobacco is like the rowdy uncle. <laughs> like he comes in, he kicks open the door and he's like, I'm here. You're going to deal with me whether you want to or not. Mm -hmm. And the more that you fight it, is the harder it's going to be. Yeah. But it's going to be hard anyway, just so you know. Yeah. And um, I love that. That's one of my favorite medicines to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so I did uh, tobacco, dieta, and then I dieted um, maybe Chiri Sanango. Mm -hmm. That was years ago at this point. Like I pretty much dieted all of the master teacher plants mm -hmm. and those are the ones who support the four master teachers mm -hmm. of the jungle and the four master teachers in amazonian shamanism are ayahuasca san pedro coca and tobacco okay and master teachers like um can you give us some background to that like right what's the traditions or something that brought that up like to be there were four master teachers they came upon these plants or were there people that enacted this at some point what's the history behind that yeah so you can ask different lineages of different shamans mm -hmm. and you get different stories about okay. all of them <laughs> and ultimately through my own understanding mm -hmm. i have no idea yeah <laughs> okay. it, it's just like how do you I'm know that the amanita muscaria mushroom induced this particular state yeah but the mushroom that looks exactly like it but it's slightly darker, will kill, will kill you. Yeah. There's not that much trial and error in the world. Yeah. So there was a different kind of intelligence and a different kind of intuition at some point. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that the animals of the jungle lend mm -hmm. to a deeper understanding because when you watch animals, they know what they're they know. doing yeah. because it's instinctual. They don't have to consider it. Yeah. Right. I tell people, watch a cat. Mm -hmm. When a cat is sick, watch what a cat does. A cat drinks water and sleeps. It's not out playing. It's not eating anything. It's just drinking water mm -hmm. and resting. And generally, drinking water and resting will help a lot of the maladies that we face today. Yeah. So there is... Um, so you had the four teachers. Yes, there's the four teachers and then the other 12 plants that come along with the four teachers. Mm -hmm. Now... Each teacher plant elicits different responses within mm -hmm. us. And most people will gravitate towards one mm -hmm. and choose to work with one mm -hmm. unless the architect of all of this guides you into you working with each one and bonding with those so you're able to wield any of them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we use the word shaman, a shaman is a very broad term. Yeah. Because then when you're in the jungle and you're speaking to people, you have like ayahuasqueros who only work with ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. You have tabaqueros who only work with tobacco. Yeah. You have huachumeros who only work with um, San Pedro, or, or the indigenous word for it is huachuma. Yeah. And then you have only coca readers. Yeah. Very few people can work with all of those plants and have a connection to them. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Then yeah. there's different branches of shamanism because then you have like uh, 
the perfumeros who only work with scent. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Agua de Florida comes in. What's and that? It's a terrible chemical, I believe, personally. <laughs> yeah. It's um, actually made by a U.S. company, and it's flammable. Mm -hmm. And it smells like old, cheap 70s or 80s cologne. Mm. That sounds and, awful. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's used to elicit certain responses okay. in, the, in the psyche because, which I'll get into in a little while, it, it stimulates certain areas of the brain okay. and then you're able to create psychological anchors for mm -hmm. certain things. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Interesting. So in those four, which one did you gravitate towards the most? Coca. Mm -hmm. Coca and tobacco. Mm -hmm. A very interesting part about my journey is that I was never, my goal was never to pour plant medicine. Yeah. And that was very clear. And I stated that to the team and to the shaman. I was like, yeah. I really don't care yeah. to hold ceremonies. I don't really care to hold retreats. I'm more interested in the information stream and the ability to do that, mm -hmm. but not to feel compelled right. to do that or I have to do that. Right. Because, because you do do that. I do do that yeah. now, but I have never counted myself as a one-trick pony. Yeah. Because if I don't work with plant medicines at all, it doesn't mean that my ability to do things or to create a space for healing or to help somebody is limited because I don't have plants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just a, I feel um, a dishonor to my own true being, mm -hmm. that I'm not a slave to my tools. Right. My right. tools help to accentuate and... Uh, kind of uh, exponentially quantify the experience. So why do you think that the particular shamans kind of singled you out during your process and your journey? What that, was it about you? Did they tell you like mm, that, hey, no. you're one of us? Like, No, and I'm glad that they didn't mm -hmm. because that would have polluted my thoughts mm -hmm. because that would have been a psychological imprint and taking away my own sovereignty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like me saying like, oh, you know, Aaliyah, you're, you have such a beautiful voice. Just do you sing? You should be a singer, you know, and then that's in your mind. Why? Now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then that becomes in your mind yeah. and, and that kind of imprints mm -hmm. and then the analytical overlays comes right. after that. So luckily they didn't say that to me. Mm -hmm. What I believe that they saw, I do not know. Because I can't tell you what you see in me. I can yeah. only know what I, who and what I am. Whatever you project onto me is your own thing. Right. You know? Right. But. But I'm, you have intuitive abilities as well. Yes. Right? So what did that look like pre-shaman and post-shaman? It was just a voice in my head that I typically ignored mm -hmm. because I counted myself as a far more cerebral person mm -hmm. and as a black man of a certain age, I was groomed by society and by the media and by this world mm -hmm. that I could not readily express any other emotion aside from anger or aggression. Yeah. And everything was filtered through that. So anger and aggression was my conduit in yeah. which I would feel deeply about something. And I would confuse anger with my passion. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I was very skeptical. Like when I would have certain intuitive things, like when somebody would say something to me, like Melvin, we're going to do this. And then something would be like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I would just hold it in my head like, oh, that's probably not going to happen. But okay, cool. Let's act as if, and let's do everything that we can to try to make it happen. Yeah. Even though I knew it wasn't going to happen. Right. And that's been since I was a child. Yeah. That's always been present. And as a teenager and in my early twenties, I kind of turned it off a bit. Mm-hmm. 
because that inhibited my ability to truly connect with people. Your intuition did? Yes. Interesting. Why is that? Because of my environment and surroundings. Mm -hmm. I, children and teenagers, matter of fact, everybody mm -hmm. seeks acceptance mm -hmm. from their social circle. Right. And they want to appear to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to be the cool kid in high school, right? Everybody yeah. wants to be the fly guy and this and that. And with that comes a whole lot of other things that a lot of people do not take into consideration because they don't have the, the emotional or mental bandwidth at that time. Right. And only in hindsight are you able to look back and to see the aspects of your being that you sacrificed in order to fit. Be the cool kid. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because by nature, I know that I'm kind and I'm loving and I'm gentle and I'm tender and I like to help people, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But that's not cool. Right. When I came up in the 90s, yeah. the 80s and 90s, that's not cool. Especially for a black dude. You got to be yeah. angry. You got to be a badass. You got to be tough. You got to curse. Right. I, I, you know, it's like I listen to those same songs yeah. too. So as a result of me wearing all of those masks, my life took a certain turn that was incredibly difficult and terrible while at the same time, um, in hindsight, rewarding. Yeah. So, again, to back to your original question, I don't know what they saw in me because at that point I believed that I knew myself. Mm. And anything that came up internally that was contrary to what I thought was myself, I just repressed and suppressed. Yeah. I did not want to deal with that. Yeah. Because that was scary for me. Yeah. But I couldn't even uh, admit to being scared of it because I have muscles. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm a man now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Shish, bam, boom. Mm -hmm. um, so, are there any formal qualifications to being a shaman? Like, there's a lot of people out here that are talking about their healers and they do this and that. And, like, for me, shaman has such a... Uh, a bit of a vague term, if you will. And so it's, I'm still trying to figure out what it, what it means to be a shaman. So in your, like you did a definition at the beginning, but like, what does one need for that? Go ahead and open your hydro flask. Oh, thank you. Sorry about that. I'm quite thirsty. <laughs> There's some memes about hydro flasks and they're like nobody. And then it's people with hydro flasks and the, you know, they're like, exactly. Um, Qualification. So, yeah. First off, um, I'm a big proponent of this, and I know that it's controversial, and I get a lot of backtalk, and people, it triggers a lot of people, but I don't really care. This isn't something you opt into. Mm -hmm. This is a path that you're invited mm -hmm. into. It's mm -hmm. not just one day you make the decision, be like, I'm going to be an energy healer, or I'm going to be a shaman, or I'm going to be a priestess or a goddess and do these activations and all of that stuff. Yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah. It's an invitation. Mm -hmm. And even with the invitation, there is a level of resistance that is natural to a person because the true shamans, the true people who work in these modalities are the reluctant ones. Yep. You are compelled by a deeper force. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when people speak to me and they're like, you know, spirit told me this. And I'm like, is it spirit or your ego? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be cool? Do you want to call yourself like, oh, I do this and that. But then when it really counts, you don't show up. Mm -hmm. Because in order to get to this place, yeah, there's a whole lot that goes there. And a lot of people are not cut out for that. Mm -hmm. There isn't a lot of people who could be in isolation yeah. for that long. Yeah. Just drinking plants with no external stimuli yeah. and sit in that space. 
and really take those hard looks in the mirror yeah. and come to a different conclusion and learn from that. Right. Um, and my mentors and the people who I work with always drilled that into me, that this is something that's by invitation. And eventually when you accept that invitation, you will be dragged kicking and screaming from your former life into that place because that's the depth of your being. Yeah. And the medicine and the spirit will guide you. And that is different from your own intuition. Yeah. It's a different kind of force within you that people may be able to feel the force in you, but don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And it takes a long time for you to even be able to understand the force that lies within you yeah. and how you are wielded as the tool when you're in the space of the medicine mm -hmm. and when you work with them. So is the medicine required? Not necessarily okay. because once upon a time, um, participants in shamanic ceremonies didn't drink the medicine, only the shaman drank mm. and then they would enter into an altered state and then speak and come back to you right. about what they've seen. Right. And then it took on a different hybridization, mm -hmm. which I'm not for or against. Mm -hmm. It's just evolution. Way to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Evolution is evolution. Yeah. We can lament and kind of, this isn't right. This is, but right. this is what's happening now. Right. So qualifications. Yeah. You need to, you need to know Right, and you just don't need to know the medicine. And this is a big thing that I will be speaking about at mm -hmm. Bali Spirit Fest. Mm -hmm. In this day and age, you need to know medicine. You need to know biology. You need to know yeah. blood types and disease and all these other things, and also pharmacology and psychopharmacology, in order for you to properly be of service to a person. Mm -hmm. You also have to know the person's culture and be able to suspend your own ethnocentric ideas this is a very of, important point like oh, yeah. definitely like go deeper into that yeah um for us to suspend our typical ethnocentric ideas about things and judgment from this westernized perspective right. and updating it because then you're not really working with the medicine if you're still judging it from this westernized perspective right for me um my journey in peru and my time in peru was beautiful and ugly at the same time, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. that is true experience. Yeah. And I will not attach whether it's good or bad. I've moved past that. And it was just an experience that helped me become who I am today. It's neutral. Exactly. From a place of non-attachment with right. that. But I also recognize that it was a requisite in order for me to get to where I am and to be able to do what I do and work where I work. Yeah. Now, what I've learned is that in order for truth, uh, for a true therapeutic space to be open mm -hmm. and for true healing to occur within that space and for trust to be established, security to be established, um, objectivity, true mm -hmm. openness, there requires a level of transference. And when I speak of transference, I just don't mean energetic transference or, you know, physical transference. There's a deep Explain deeper... what transference is for people who might not know. Right. So transference is um, very simply put, right? If I'm upset mm -hmm. and I come to you and you're like, Mel, what's up? How you doing? And I'm like, oh man, you know, uh, this guy cut me off on my way here and I almost crashed my bike and it's so hot and I'm sweaty now and I smell and, you know, the sunscreen's in my eyes and blah, blah. And I'm just kind of purging all of this kind of anxious energy onto you, mm -hmm. 
you in turn can become anxious. Right. Even if you were just, you just got out of the bath and mm -hmm. meditation and everything else, you could become anxious. Yeah. You could also become combative as a result of my mm -hmm. energy being transferred. Yeah. And either one is a disservice to the process. Right. It's for us to be able to maintain our objectivity in the midst of the storm and to step directly into the eye of the storm and to mm -hmm. be safe there. Mm -hmm. And that's the true art of holding space. Right. It's not being swayed by our own biases or prejudices or different things that come into our scope of awareness and attaching mm -hmm. to it. So for transference to actually take place, there needs to be a, a, at least a baseline understanding of mm -hmm. who I am. Yeah. When I come to you, not your projection as to who I am. Yeah. Because we were all judged some way or another. It's like people, people ask me all the time, like, oh, would you call yourself a shaman? I say, I call myself Melvin. Mm -hmm. I've been called an asshole and mm -hmm. I've been called an angel too. And I'm all of those things and in between. Yeah. But I am just Melvin, mm -hmm. and I provide certain services for certain people. Now, whatever people choose to project, they're going to choose to project. However, because we put ourselves in these positions to stand in front of right. and on that podium, then you better be ready to back up everything that you say mm -hmm. and to be projected upon mm -hmm. and to still maintain your sovereignty. Yeah. To understand that everybody's in their own stage of evolution anyway. Right. And you still have to hold your own space. Exactly. Yeah. So when I say transference, there's a lot of, when we look at psychologists yeah. who are dealing with people who are depressed and everything else, in turn, they become depressed because, yeah. you know, what, maybe six to eight hours a day, they're listening to people and their problems and they're trying to help them. And these people are in deep pain. Yeah. And inevitably, because all humans are empathic. Right. Unless you're right. like a psychopath or whatever, you know, yeah, whatever yeah, the statistics yeah. are, blah, blah. But <laughs> I say that. Yeah. Everybody's empathic. Everybody's like empathic. Right. And whether you choose to acknowledge that or not. Yeah. And I mean, the easiest way to do it is watch people in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. And it may sound silly, but watch a scene in a movie where, the, where a guy gets kicked in the nuts mm -hmm. and all the men in there are like, oh, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. they'll grimace. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's an unconscious thing. Yeah. That's empathy. Yes. It is. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now, compassion is, is a whole other thing. It's a different level of it. But yeah. now, what I learned in my dealings, and this comes from experience, and it's not just one experience. Like, I immersed myself in this world. Mm -hmm. I lived in Peru. I was in the mountains. I was in the jungles. I was in the deserts. I was on the glaciers. All of that. I was cutting medicines, cooking medicines, mm -hmm. doing the real hardcore work. Mm -hmm. that people don't want to do right. and then also doing the work where people were praising you afterwards and that's that's what people want they want the mm -hmm. praise and everything else but when shit goes wrong they don't want they they yeah, will project on them like that's your own thing yeah but anyway what i learned is that the greater majority of traditional or indigenous medicine workers, mm -hmm. or even the gringos who come there and are, or, and are indoctrinated mm -hmm. under their lineages, have no idea what it is to be me. Right. They know from when they look on Facebook, they watch a couple movies, whatever else, and they have this idea. And they lack the ability to reflectively listen mm -hmm. because they have preconceived notions and they come in with a clipboard and they just click off all of these little boxes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I bet you're angry, right? Yeah, well, you know, at this point, I'm 40 years old, and I'm a black dude from New York. Yeah. What do you, come on. 
Come on. It's the easiest stereotype yeah, to pick. You, you know shaman. You know intuitive. Yeah. It's fucking obvious. Yeah. You know? Let's go deeper into that, though. Let's see what you really know. Mm. And that's just not with indigenous shamans or those people. That's what the majority of people who call themselves healers and everything else, a lot of things that they're going off of is based upon face value. Yeah. Because they reflexively listen, not reflectively listen. Mm. Reflection and reflectively listening requires you to ultimately be present mm -hmm. without the judgment or biases. Yeah. So what I learned down there is that for true healing to take place, there needs to be that deeper level of understanding. If you understand me, then I feel safe and I feel secure and I mm -hmm. do not feel judged. Yeah. And then I can truly open up. And that is you creating the space for true healing and true therapy to take place. Yeah. Because a lot of therapies don't work because of the pathology that happens with it. Of so course. people don't feel understood. Instead, they feel like something's wrong with them. And then thus starts the cycle all over again of I'm not enough and I can't get over this thing. And why can I heal? And da, da, da. Exactly. So, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And that's why I advise people not to go into ceremony with their partner, not to go with their friends. Yeah. Take off all your masks and just show up as you are. Yeah. Don't worry about them. They'll do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Because then there is no image that I have to hold right. up. You don't know me from Adam. Yeah. And I'm only with you for 10 days and you'll probably never see me again. Yeah. You know? Be exactly who you are. Exactly. Yeah. That's scary mm -hmm. because people need support and accountability. So it's a very... Um, it's a thin line. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So for you, like, how do you provide this for your clients? For me, how do I provide this? Um safety and security in order for them to go into their journey and for transference to happen so they can be so they can receive what they need mm -hmm. um first i let them know that i'm not attached to the outcome of our journey or our work together mm -hmm. because that in and of itself is impeding your own sovereignty mm -hmm. right and i'm psychologically implanting and imprinting on you so for i sure. let them know yeah. i'm not concerned or i'm not attached right to the outcome. I am only attached to demanding excellence for myself mm -hmm. in order to hold this space and to create it for you. Yeah. That's the first thing. I yeah. let that be known off the rip. Secondly, I have a questionnaire that I have the people fill out. Mm -hmm. And some of it is baseline medical information and a lot, some of it is open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. You have a medical background. Yeah. So yeah. I wasn't in medicine, but yeah. like I've studied, uh, well, by... <laughs> I have a degree in occupational therapy and a license in massage therapy, and I've studied um, neuromuscular therapy in depth. Mm -hmm. So I have a pretty, a pretty good understanding of the nervous system and human biology yeah. and also pharmacology and chemistry mm -hmm. because I firmly believe that if you were to work with plants and these kinds of things, mm -hmm. then you need to do your own due diligence and study. Right. Because, again, when you put yourself on the podium – and you call yourself, uh, let's say, a cacao mm -hmm. priestess or whatever else, you may run into a motherfucker like me mm. <laughs> who knows some things and is going to ask the hard questions. Yeah. And in that, when I ask you the hard questions, I'm not looking for your answers. I'm looking for your reactions. Mm. Because the more I push and push and push, I want to see if you'll break and you'll fold. Yeah. Because that's more indicative of the ego. Mm -hmm. Do you lash back out at me mm -hmm. or do you just answer my questions? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's what I advise everybody to do because I am, I cannot pour for everybody who's yeah. interested. I can't serve everybody who's interested. Yeah. I could help a lot of people integrate the process uh, and I run group processes and talks and all of those things. But 
at least I could arm you with the right questions to ask. Yeah. Because more often than not, people ask the wrong questions because when they do turn to plant medicine or these kind of more uh, immersive and in-depth modalities, there's a sense of desperation mm. and also of, um, let's say, uh, naivety and mysticism wrapped around that. Mm -hmm. I know plenty of these people, not, not just here, but mm. all over the world who wear the right clothes, grow the right beards, wear the right bracelets, mm -hmm. say all the nice catchphrases yeah. of, well, we're accessing your authenticity. We're activating your empowerment and all those other things. Mm -hmm. But then behind the mesa, it's a different ball game. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're what just having, well, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. There's a whole lot of showmanship mm -hmm. in these healing modalities and what these people do in these voice activations and channelings yeah. and crystal healing therapies and you know, I'm a medium and I'm this and I'm an intuitive and I'm a psychic and all those other things, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of showmanship that goes along with that yeah. and entering into uh, altered trance states of the eyes fluttering and all of that stuff, yeah. which helps to create a certain kind of, um, let's say, production value mm -hmm. for people to be more open, which serves its utility and virtue to a degree. Right. But don't drink your own fucking Kool-Aid <laughs> and then try to pour it down my throat. Yeah. You know, yeah. I studied the same thing. How do things. people understand or uh, decipher the difference between uh, what you would consider a real shaman versus one who's a theater? Right. Um, arming themselves with the right questions and being aware of their emotional responses. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I want so bad to believe you. I want to you know, abdicate control of myself over to you so you could help heal me, mm -hmm. right? And in that, I subject myself to your own whimsical, uh, arbitrary, uh, you know, sure. ideas surrounding this, mm -hmm. right? So there is a level of showmanship that needs to take place in order for the space to be opened with the right tone and for people to be receptive to you. Right. However, there needs to be a level or a degree of realism and pragmatism mm -hmm. practice and practicality that a lot of uh, people lose sight of. Right. Right. What are the right questions? Why? Why do you do this? Mm. Very simple question. Okay. Why do you do this? Because I can. Because you can. Because I'm compelled to. Okay. And because nothing else satisfies me. This is my karma. Mm -hmm. And this is my way to contribute back mm -hmm. to create the shift. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this for money. I'm not doing this for fame. You know, when I die and I turn to ashes, they'll forget my name. Yeah. Even now, the, I've worked with thousands of people all over the world. Do I even think that they remember me? Probably not. I do not care. I think you're pretty memorable, Melvin. Well, <laughs> well thank you. But it's not about that. Right. It's about doing the work because you can, mm -hmm. because I want to help. Mm -hmm. And I'm last worst case, like I won't say worst case scenario, but the last, the last option is for me to serve you medicine. The first thing I want to do is give you a glass of water. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you. I want to look into your eyes. I want you to feel me and I want to feel you. Yeah. And let's, let's see what this is about. Mm -hmm. So for people who are going to work with plant medicines and work with healers and shamans and sound therapists and retreats and all these other things, mm -hmm. ask the f person who's facilitating or running the show, why do you do this? Mm -hmm. 
And not only listen to their words and the content, but listen to the context in which they speak and watch their body language, right? If you're sensitive enough, you'll realize that 85% of communication is nonverbal. Yes. And if you saw my body language right now, like I'm facing you and I'm speaking with my hands and I'm maintaining intense eye contact with you and you know, I believe what I'm saying and it, you know, so there's that. How long have you been doing this? Mm-hmm. How did you come into this path? Mm-hmm. How does this affect my body? I'm asking you. <laughs> right. Yeah. How does this affect my body? What does it do to me? Mm-hmm. But what if I have this? Well, I was on medication. What about this? Will I be suicidal? Because mm-hmm. I was suicidal a few years ago. Yeah. And a lot of people don't take a proper medical screening mm-hmm. or psychological screening, nor do they have people on their staff who are qualified. Is there anybody here who knows CPR? Right. Do you have an AED here? Um, is there a medical facility here? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. Do you take my blood pressure before, mm-hmm. during, and after? You know, like all there, there's, there's a lot. There's so of... many people that go down there and do none of that, right? And put their lives at risk. Exactly. To God knows who. And I, I won't say like I can't blame them for being ignorant. Yeah. And when I say ignorant, it's not a negative thing. Right. It's just it's not being not aware. Yeah. Right. But now you know because you're listening to this. Yeah. So now you'll be a damn fool to not <laughs> listen to somebody who has a lot of experience working with this and not heeding what I'm telling you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I try to arm people with those kinds of questions Mm -hmm. and not to be afraid because that's a big part of the work in and of itself is for you to be able to look at me in my eyes and be like, Mel, um, why do you do this? Mm -hmm. Oh, but how does this affect my brain? Mm -hmm. And what happens? What can I expect? Why do I purge? Mm -hmm. Why would I have diarrhea? Mm -hmm. But I'm allergic to certain things. Is there any contraindications with these kinds of things with my allergies? Yeah. How does this dieta work? Why am I only eating that? I don't like how that tastes. All of these things. Yeah. And it's like, there are no stupid questions. <clears throat> there are wrong questions. But once you keep questioning, you'll find out the right questions. And part mm-hmm. of that is actually being authentic and voicing your truth. Mm-hmm. To be like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm kind of nervous. And from your answers, I don't really trust you. Mm-hmm. And not to be bullied into it because a lot of these healers and shamans and mystics and all of these people will project onto you like if you say to me you know mel i don't know there's something about you that i don't trust Mm -hmm. and then immediately i'd be like well that's something with you you need to look deeper into that (laughs) as opposed to being like okay i acknowledge that and i understand can you put your finger on it Mm -hmm. what is it? i think the first time i met you i told you you're quite polarizing and something in your energy that i felt like cautious about yeah and so and i felt free to be able to tell you that but i think a lot of people they'll go into this experience that they already paid for and they feel this like oh something's wrong or maybe i'm nervous about doing this or whatever and they continue because they thought well i already paid for it so they have they don't listen to their intuition in those interactions exactly and then put themselves in a precarious situation that could could harm them ultimately exactly yeah so we're like um I want to talk to you like more about like what it is that you do outside of the medicine, right. um, like your healing sessions. Like what does that entail? Right. So again, I will have you fill out a questionnaire and I will actually, I like to sit down and talk to you face to face. And it's mm-hmm. like, what do you want from me? Mm-hmm. It's like a therapy or using certain intuitive modalities. Like I use them all. So okay. I use my intuition. Person? Mm, it's a, what I reveal to the person and the frame in which I work with that person is mm-hmm. contingent upon them. Mm-hmm. I will tailor certain phraseology and things like that. Like in Bali or in Ubud, I can speak about energetics and things like that. 
when I'm working in China or in Singapore, I don't speak to people. That's not their language. Yeah. You have to know your audience mm -hmm. in order for true therapy to happen. Right. So somebody may come in with, um, they present with all kinds of different issues, shoulder pains or, you know, physical maladies. And barring a structural deformity or a mechanism for injury or internal disease, then generally there's an imbalance somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So in the course of the questioning and how I question people, I use an induction method of questioning mm -hmm. in order to get to the root of it and open up that space. Yeah. And sometimes I use touch because I am an occupational therapist and these other things. Other times I use sound because I understand hertz and frequencies and vibration. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I use smell, right? Because smell is directly linked to the limbic system in your brain. So it could elicit a response that bypasses your conscious mind because mm -hmm. the limbic system is where our memories are stored. Right. You said that something about that, about the perfume earlier. Right. Like, so what are some certain smells or things like that, that might elicit healing responses for people? Um, sandalwood, mm -hmm. frankincense, and myrrh, the three wise men. Ah, yeah. Because all of those um, scents have certain terpenes in there that create, that stimulate your body to produce different neurotransmitters, hmm. endorphins and dopamine and those kinds of mm -hmm. things. So the happier you are is the more open you are, the softer you are. That's why sandalwood or smelling myrrh. I mm -hmm. love myrrh. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I love myrrh. <laughs> smelling myrrh calms me immediately mm -hmm. to the point where I could drink a cup of coffee and then almost start to doze off and enter into more of a lucid state because mm -hmm. it calms my nerves. Wow. And there's certain notes in there that creates bronchial dilation so my lungs open up more mm -hmm. um which in turn oxygenates my blood so i receive more clarity of thought because mm -hmm. there's not much uh waste products in my blood mm -hmm. as much yeah so wow. yeah there's science behind that right yeah. citrus smells tend to enliven and awaken people mm -hmm. so if they are presenting with lethargy or kind of slow mm -hmm. mental functionings and things like that then orange or any citrus scent will mm -hmm. elicit those kinds of opening responses and make a person more alert. Is this why essential oils are so popular right now? Exactly. With the diffusers and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what other, you said scent, smell, touch. Scent is smell, sorry. <laughs> right, right, right. Touch, <laughs> scent. I use plant medicines at times. Mm -hmm. I use sound. And I use my voice and I talk a lot. Mm -hmm. And I mean... There's a story of um, one of the founders of Wing Chun, Master Ip, mm -hmm. right? And Master Ip was, he was a badass dude. He was like a businessman, but, you know, all over China, all the Kung Fu masters and karate masters were coming to fight him. Mm -hmm. And he was whipping them all out. And they asked him, they're like, oh my God, what style is that? What style is this? What style is this? And he said to them, it's not the style, it's the man. Mm -hmm. And it's true. You could study the same things that I've studied, but you cannot be me, right? Right? Because you don't, you'll have a different experience and you will emit a different, um, let's say, energetic signature, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So part of what I do are the external modalities, but another part of it is my yeah, energy, yeah. right? Yeah. And that comes with fine tuning and being aware of yourself. Mm -hmm. So how does energy... What is it, how does energy look for you? So 
as myself being an empath and someone who's very sensitive to energy, I know that like when you walked in the room and I feel certain aspects of your energy and say, Hey, let's open this up a little mm. bit and sit down a little mm-hmm. bit and disarm whatever might've been outside. Um, for you, especially if you're in a healing session, what does that look like for you? Some people see colors, some people see like, I want to hear about your experience. Yeah. I see, feel, and I know. Mm-hmm. So it may be rays of things moving around. Um, and it's not, in a session, mm-hmm. it's just always. always yeah. It's just what I choose yeah. to pay attention to at any given time. Right. Right. What you give attention to is what you give power to. Mm-hmm. So I am very much aware of my level of engagement at any time. Mm-hmm. So I can see it. I can feel it. And then there's also a knowing that goes beyond just my, um, let's say, mental processing and right. mental things. Like I just know. Clear sense, yes. There you go. Hmm. Awesome. Well, I mean, I think this is really cool uh, as far as like being able to show people an introductory, if you will, about shamanism. Um, If someone wants to have a session with you, how can they reach you? They could email me at evolve at the evolutionist.com. And your website is? (laughs) Theevolutionist.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Melvin, for being a part of our show. And uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Interested in becoming a client for energy coaching? Find me at www.thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do or hit me up on IG at thelovelyalia for daily content and inspiration.